primas, and welcome back to My Primo's Podcast. My name is Freddie, and with me tonight is my primo and yours, Mr. Kevin Garcia.com. What's up? Say what's up, Kevin? What's up, Kevin? There it is, everybody. Yes. Uh, come on, man. Come Round on. of applause. Nah, man. You know what? Say what's up, Freddie. What's up? Not the same. Not the same. Not the same. See, See and, it, and, it's, and it's moments like this liberal. that I realize we can't get along. Well, we have to really? Go, we, have, we have to go to war. <laughs> we have to pick a side. Uh, you know what? Freddy, Let's team Garcia. Keep it civil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to I keep like it that. civil. There ain't nothing civil about war anyway. All right, all right, all right, well, all right. Yeah, make, making this cheesy, making this cheesy, making this cheesy. Make but it I, too I, cheesy. But primos, <laughs> first of all, before we dive into what we're talking about today, which today's going to be a, I don't know, am I going to be cheesy and call it a primospective? Ooh, a, I like that. You like that one? I like that. Um, one of, what did we say, comic book? Will we say Marvel specific? Well, this is definitely one of the one of the more influential books from the past twenty years in terms of comics. Uh, I don't mean in terms of like like literature. It's not like Watchmen or Mouse or something, um, mm -hmm. and uh, it didn't necessarily have an immediate effect on say DC comics. Although we definitely did have some more grittier DC stories after this. After, um, yeah. but it but uh, it definitely had a major effect on Marvel ongoing plots for the next ten years. So, uh, yeah, it had a, had a big effect. And I think the idea of going back and looking at one of these big event comics and kind of taking it apart, both from a perspective of myself, who's a big comic fan, and yourself, who, who's also a comic fan, but also maybe a greater pop culture fan, I think is, is a good yeah. idea. So we're going to do a deep dive on Marvel's Civil War back in 2006, right, Kevin, roughly? Yeah. 2006, yeah. So we're going to go a deep dive into Civil War. We've been wanting to do something like this for a while. We enjoy going back and looking at these events and what made them so important, so pivotal, just so damn cool. You know, like this is what we as fans kind of fawn over and always reference now all of the time. Right. You know, it helped with a lot of the Marvel MCU stuff, which yep. we can kind yep. of touch on as we go through yeah. it. Yeah. But this was a cool idea that you, I would say you kind of ushered in and I really gravitated towards so i think it's an awesome awesome fun idea and, and before we even start i want to establish right now you know civil war is built upon this whole idea of of team cap versus team iron man um team iron man side saying that uh, all powered or costumes heroes need to be registered uh team cap side saying that individual freedoms should not be infringed upon and i want to just establish right out of the gate freddie team iron man team cap i was team cap all the way man I am Team Iron Man, and that is uh, very, very conflicting to say, but it is it is the case, and I will get into why that is in a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, For sure. But, uh, but yeah, let's, let's get that right out of the bat, because I want to establish that, because it's it's kind of the lens through which you see the series. It is literally, it, it isn't the versus comic the way, like, say, Contest of Champions was back in the 80s, where it was who would win in a fight. Uh, this is more yeah. of a versus concept, con comic in terms of, like, who's side philosophically makes more sense and and there's that's kind lot, of the issue right there there's a lot in this there's a lot to unpack there's a lot to really go over and we're gonna try to keep this brief enough but cohesive enough to where also you're not feel like you're missed so much and yeah you can go back and read this by the way primos yeah yeah this is just a, the highlights that we want to cover we want to go through it so we can jog your memory i don't know when the last time was that you read civil war but literally 
Or if you haven't read it yet, years this, ago. this may make you want to go read it or may make you never want to go read it. Either way is good. <laughs> but it's going to um, be fun, guys. And remember, Primos, just uh, interact with us online. Let us know your thoughts as well. You know, if you're Team Cap or Team uh, Iron Man after this, we never know. Just kind of brings up this conversation. Why not? And of course, you know you can do that at My Primos Podcast on all social media. Also, check out our website, myprimospodcast.com. We can check out our shows, all our socials, all our posts. And, of course, on all your streaming platforms of choice, weekly, well, weekly and biweekly, depending on when we can get them out. We are uh, regularly out. As soon as you check it and see that we have a new episode, we are there with a new episode. That's how that there works. There you go, guys. Keep checking. Keep checking. But, all right, without further ado, Kevin, let's start it off. All right, you know what? Let's just get off with the beginning of the book. We'll we'll do some flashbacks about what things mean as we go. Uh, but but the first issue of Civil War starts off uh, right off the bat with a reality show. Um, right mm-hmm. before this, uh, about a year or two before this series came out, there was a reboot of the New Warriors. New Warriors was this concept from the late '80s, early '90s that was basically like, what if the 18 to 21 year old heroes all got together and became uh, you know a team? Um, Marvel never really had sidekicks in a sense. So these are really aren't the Teen Titans. Um, and they had a pretty successful run in the 90s, but they hadn't been around for a while. They did a reboot where they were like, hey, let's make them reality stars. And it was kind of silly. It was kind of goofy. And uh, Mark Millar, who is mm-hmm. my least favorite writer, probably one of my least favorite writers, um, he just turns everything edgelordy. So he says, oh, let's take this uh, reality show and make it kill a bunch of children. <laughs> so so they do that yeah. uh, by accident. Um, what was your take of the whole scene, though, when, you, when you're looking at the whole uh, New Warriors uh, breaking into a villain hideout in a small town America. Well, let's look at it from at the time. Yeah, yeah. Early 2000s, you're looking oh. at reality TV is the fucking thing invading everything. It is everywhere. It is everywhere. It is everywhere. So it made sense. It was very relevant to yes. see a young team mm-hmm. that maybe you didn't remember existed or knew nothing about them. Right, right. Come out of the gate on a reality show. You're like, oh shit, okay, cool. This is the first introduction in the at least now, at least at the time, let's say, modern Marvel. And we're getting to see Namora. We're getting to see... Uh, well, Namorita. S- S- Namorita, excuse me. Uh, and Speedball, the, like his characters that... You, yeah, no, exactly. So Namorita. So you get to see his characters that you're like, I vaguely remember that. <laughs> I vaguely remember them. And so well, you're getting this team, you're getting this team, and immediately you see the, the, the TV behind, the TV crew behind it, and you're like, oh my God. Really? Yeah. Of course... They'd be doing a reality show. I immediately didn't like these characters because <laughs> they were on reality TV. You, you know what's funny is um, the survivors of the New Warriors um, for the next several years were basically trying to rebuild the good name of their team. Uh, that was like an ongoing thing for them because they were like, no, they didn't deserve the hate they got. Um, it, uh, you know what's really funny to me is is the fact that uh, the team is led by Night Thrasher, who's basically Batman. I mean, he was this kid... Mm who was orphaned as a young kid, raised by his uh, martial arts-knowing butler, uh, super rich, gadgets, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that young Batman would join a, a team with the, uh, um, with the reality show, but, but you know what happened. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then you have them going after villains that are in hiding, not actively doing anything right this moment, but definitely wanted by the law, um, in small-town America. For... For the views. For the views, exactly. Even the producers on it, if you look at that first couple pages, they even say, who are these guys? 
Like, are these yeah. even worth our time in so many sense, in so many words? And they're like, yeah, they fought so-and-so. They're so-and-so. They're these guys. Like, it should be a pretty straightforward thing. One of them is pretty dope. And we almost, you know, took down the Hulk. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. It's, it's not making them a, as big of a deal for these guys. It's that overconfidence. Makes them very pompous. And that's why I, I hated the energy and the vibe of these characters and this team shooting this TV show. I feel like this but is kind of like the definition of character assassination because these are literally characters that were beloved characters that are made to look like just the worst. <laughs> the worst. Yeah, the just worst. for the views, for the likes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, come on. Like, okay, fine. You're going after these guys that are wanted, but they're not actively hurting anybody. I get it, but they're still bad guys, right? Definitely bad guys. And, Murderers, assassins, thieves, yeah. all that kind of stuff. All that. Um, so they get into it, man. They, they rumble. The camera and then the one guy, right there. The one you know? guy is, is Nitro, right? Nitro is mm-hmm. the guy whose whole power is that he's a human bomb. He can explode and then put it back together again. Um, and he gets credit for killing Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel was basically, uh, for a brief time in the late 70s, early 80s, was basically Marvel's Superman, essentially. He was like their, their icon character, you know, the primary colors and everything. Um, but he didn't get killed by Nitro by being exploded. Nitro exploded with some chemicals and that got into Captain Marvel's cells and he actually died of cancer. Still takes credit for the kill, I guess. So that makes him kind of an A-list villain, even though he doesn't do a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, ultimately, he's the one that blows up the school bus and, and like the whole neighborhood. Um, yeah, I mean, he literally, that line, if we look at that panel, he's beat up, thrown against the, the school bus. Mm-hmm. And he basically tells Namorita, like, hey, you're... He basically saying, hey, I don't know who you are. I know you're somebody, but I don't really know who you are. And don't don't think that you're taking on just anybody. Mm-hmm. We're playing uh, with the big boys now. Literally, his phrase. And boom. Blows up a school bus. Kills everybody there. Children are killed. I mean, yep. it's, a, it's a huge bomb. Yep. And then we cut to, which I love, this panel that's opening. It's literally... A one shot. It's Cap on one side, Iron Man on the other, mm-hmm. with the heroes in between helping. And you see initially where that split is going to be. It's almost a preemptively giving you that split. Yeah, I, I do want to say that for younger uh, readers and younger younger listeners, this is the post nine eleven imagery that uh, so many of us remember from that time period. This is the early two thousand, well, mid two thousands, I guess, mid mid aughts. And uh, that, uh, you know, it was in Spielberg's War of the Worlds. It was in, uh, you know, this Civil War, obviously, but it was kind of prevalent. We couldn't get past it. It was this idea of, like, how would such a tragedy affect the heroes? And they, they made it personal, you know? There was nothing to compare it to in recent history at that time. Yeah. You can, yeah, you I, can make the argument. And at the time, I remember before we had 9-11, it was things like, oh, it's like D-Day. Or it was like Hiroshima. It was like all these different examples that were felt ages away. And for us at that time, that was the closest event or tragedy that we, we would compare these events to. Right. Um, what's weird, though, this is where I want to get kind of into the background of the, of the story, is that if you're reading a lot of the tie-ins, uh, especially like the Illuminati books and stuff like that, um, mm-hmm. Tony Stark had been talking about being a futurist and that I can see that things are coming and I can see that eventually... Uh, the average people are going to rise up against us and want to have laws. And he would say flat out, I think we should endorse those laws when they get suggested. I think that we should 
support the idea of registering and monitoring superpowered individuals. Um, and through the course of the investigation uh, through other comics, in Spider-Man, we have an issue where Titanium Man attacks Congress while they're debating this stuff, and uh, and Spider-Man stops him. And, and by the end of the issue, secretly, we find out Iron Man was paying Titanium Man to attack. He never explodes, it's, it's talked about why, never discusses it. It's just, you did your job and then leaves. That's it. And then over in Wolverine, he's tracking down Nitro. Tony explicitly tells him, do not go after Nitro. Let other people handle this. Wolverine is, and we're going to get a registration in a second. Wolverine's already registered yeah. as, as a mutant. Um, and he finds out that, A, Nitro's been taking some kind of pills that are branded from Stark pharmaceutical stuff. Uh, and B, he's hiding in a safe house owned by Stark Industries. And C, the authorities, who Stark is in charge of, are basically helping him escape as long as he doesn't make too much noise. And it's like, this is heavily implying that Stark caused this explosion, um, but it's never directly tied to him and it's honestly never addressed later in comics. So it's kind of... You know, whenever you thing. bring up the, the conversation about the law being passed, right? This is yeah. an ongoing thing, and I know you'll touch on it, where, like, the Mutant Registration Act, Yeah, right? it goes back that to was, the 80s. Exactly, it goes back to the 80s and that that fight. And I remember that, and I remember that for for something inside of me, it always put a panic of being registered in some kind yeah. of database because of the fact that safety feels taken from you. The government yeah, but- being the history we have with the government, the history we have with with being like, for example, undocumented. Yeah, you know, and, that's and exactly being, right. Latinos and, and being Especially. tracked down and being being found and. And just it, it put a fear in me and it always made me lean more towards fuck that. Not for me, you know, and this struck a chord again. Honestly, that was the intention. The intention was and I don't mean of this book, but I mean of every time it's come up uh, from the Mutant Registration Act. There was a, a, a superhero a mask registration kind of thing going on in, in uh, Captain Britain comics uh, by Alan Moore back in the early 80s uh, and other versions of this. There were always that kind of thing of like getting the reader to see what it feels like to be. Uh, persecuted and called out by the government. But I've always said that 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 analogy kind of falls apart when you have characters in this world that could just accidentally blow up a continent. You know, when you have when you have characters that could be just either born or or inherit or get the ability to just reshape uh, other humans at their will, you know, it it, it becomes a whole other thing Um, in theory. The idea of having somebody with powers be um, registered in the same way that you would register a car or a firearm makes sense, especially if you add to it that you're going to get trained on how to use it. Where it falls apart is that they almost immediately go into this whole idea of we must take all of our military and go after every single person wearing a mask and um, you know all that kind of stuff. It just gets ridiculous. But the oh, and also the idea that well, you have two choices. You can retire forever and never use your powers ever again, or you join the military. And those are, are not fair choices. Because but, but, and I know we'll get to it. And that's always, we, it becomes an issue of how much control are you willing to give up? Yeah. Because not only that, one thing is registration, but Captain America yeah. will allude to it as we move forward in the story. Yeah. They're having the conversation in this, in this cleanup effort, right? And they're having the conversation about, they never should have been there. You know what? They needed to wait for backup or, Hey, this couldn't have happened if it was this, you know, everybody's having side conversations about, 
how and why this happened or how it could have been prevented. Um, just different impacts, right? And yeah. how this coming together of all these heroes from different parts of the Marvel comic, I mean, at the time, every yeah. single branch of it, you know, the X-Men are there. You mentioned you know, Goliath. Have... Goliath had not really been in comics for a long time. It's kind of, it's always kind of telling when a, when a, when a writer brings in a character <laughs> that had not been around for a while and they're like yeah. the only one that had not been around for a while that usually says something about what's going to happen to that character. I mean, so we move forward, right? And they're having this back and forth between the heroes themselves. And then our two main, we have mm -hmm. Captain, and of course we have Iron Man, Tony Stark. Yep. Yep. They're having this back and forth about like, hey man, like how could this have been, been prevented? Why did this happen, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. And we jump to something that felt staged to me. The funeral. The church scene, the funeral. <sighs> So fans who are reading the comics at the time, Miriam Sharp is this the mother of one of the children who died. And she becomes the most vocal person uh, that is opposed to superheroes and, and becomes a uh, proponent of the Registration Act. And everybody, everybody reading this was convinced, oh, what's she going to be revealed to be? What's she going to be revealed to be? And it, nothing. She never gets revealed to be anything. She's just the, the, the catalyst that, that gets it going, you know? Sure. And I, I get it. You look at that mother... Where do you where are you gonna point the anger gun? You know, mm -hmm. like where? Who's gonna hear me? This is my son's funeral, and you're here. You're one of these individuals. But then I would think that Tony, which which I don't think that a book that's over what is this now? 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. If I start saying that we have we understand that each, you know, Captain America is anti-registration. And Tony Stark is pro, right? Right. You would think that this confrontation and the fact that he is trying to show face and for compassion would would allow Tony, instead of simply, it felt like Tony dropped his guard too easily, which is what yeah. you mentioned a little bit. That yeah. He just folded over so quickly for this confrontation. I mentioned that Titanium Man story. That takes place right before this. Tony is literally arguing against the law, even though if you read the Illuminati comic, you knew that he was in favor of it. So it's kind of weird that it's like he's saying, oh, no, this mother hurt my, 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 not my, I hurt this mother's life. And so now I changed my position when even if you read the Illuminati books, it was always his position. He always believed this. So, yeah, it irked me when I first saw this. I'm like, oh, man, this looks staged. And thinking of Tony and the other books and what he's able to do and how he's able to manipulate with the Illuminati and all that, you kind of go like, oh, man, come on. Like, was I alone when you first read this? And, not, you know, just when you read this and you're fans of the books, and at that time I was really into the books, mm -hmm. I saw this and went like, no fucking way. Like, this is this is staged. This is, this is staged. Tony well, is playing a part. What question? Did you read this before you watched the movies or after? Before. It was way okay. before. I was going to say, because uh, Tony Stark's personality uh, in the comics wasn't really what I think a lot of uh, modern-day readers might think it was, because he didn't have a lot of that snark back then. Uh, but he was definitely always a planner, so we always had that. Um, yeah. yeah, but I but I agree with you. And, and jumping ahead a bit, we get the, uh, the argument with, with the, the superheroes, and then the law gets passed, and that's where we mm -hmm. have the confrontation with S.H.I.E.L.D. And this is the big one where Captain America runs. And I think a lot of people on the surface would think, wait, isn't Captain America pro-military, pro-government? Wouldn't he, wouldn't he support this kind of a thing? Um, 
but Captain America has always been very much on the side of individual, uh, not, not let me phrase individual freedoms, um, protecting the little little guy, protecting people who don't have somebody to speak for them. And uh, in fact, I have a, a comic. Well, it's not comic; it's a magazine, really, from 1989, where they were discussing superhero registration. And back even back then, Cap was like, "You shouldn't register people." And Tony was, "Yes, you should." So, to be honest with you, that first panel we talked about where we see the divide right that big mm-hmm. big shot yeah yeah i didn't expect reading it on my first run through that cap would not follow the the, the law like i didn't expect it i mean we saw Honestly, a divide cap but i didn't expect him to go f you you know by by this point cap had already uh, steve rogers i mean just be yeah, steve rogers had given up the title of captain america at least let's see three times at this point because uh, he'd given it up once to be nomad, he gave it up again to be the captain. He gave it up, gave it up again when he got kicked out of the country. So he's often resisted, basically orders that he felt were incorrect, and gave up the title. This is one time where he kept the title of Captain America, but just ran with it. I think so because that moniker, that title, means something to so many people, especially right. within the hero community. And that comes because, up. yeah, exactly, he is a symbol. You know, and he becomes that that force. If Cap is the one resisting, are we wrong? So this is where we get that big divide. We see the Watchers show up, and we see the the buildings of the pro registration side, which is primarily going to be Reed, uh, Tony, and Hank Pym. Uh, and that's how we end the first issue, and we've got to go on to the second one. So I want to jump ahead to that. Yeah, if that's all right. Let's jump to issue two. So then we go to issue two, and you have. Already, this is established. Captain America has his rebels. They're out still fighting crime, but secretly, you know, uh, basically it's old school uh, vigilantism. Uh, meanwhile, Tony and his crew are publicly, you know, fighting things. And every single time they make a big point, Tony's crew, of like, look at us in front of the cameras. We're doing this for, for the good of humanity. We're helping people out, which I think is a little bit of a mixed message because the whole beginning thing was like, oh, these reality show people, they're just doing it for the cameras. And then we see Tony's people literally just high-fiving in front of the cameras just to say, hey, look how good we are. We follow the government's rules. You know, it's kind of weird. Uh, no, well, it, if you think about that, when they're showing off for the cameras and doing their thing, they even question it. Like, hey, man, why is Cap doing this thing? Is he on the opposite side? Like, everyone's kind of alluding to, yep. there's an issue that's going to happen. Something's going to come up. And he just keeps reassuring them, hey, we're, the, we're on the right side of this. We're on the right, right side of this. He's manipulating them and the masses. Yep, exactly right. Um, I do want to point out there's just there's just one panel that's just kind of strikes out every single time. It's She-Hulk's butt right in the middle of the screen, and it's really, really prominent. Um, and it's funny because mm-hmm. I'm reading it on the Marvel app, and on the Marvel app, if you do the smart thing where it goes from panel to panel to panel, it literally never shows you her butt. So if you do the smart panel, you can't see it. Uh, but the panel on the trade paperback is it's, very it's very much there, yes. Predominant. It's a predominant so, image there. Now what's funny, what's what's not funny, what's interesting is that while the while the main group of superheroes are fighting, we have a microcosm of this in the Fantastic Four, where the first family of the Marvel Universe is basically kind of debating this internally, and it's clearly kind of tearing them apart. And we also get the first hint uh, from Reed of 42. 42. Uh, which we learn through the course of the story is a uh extra dimensional 
a prison set up by the U.S. government to house superpowered individuals. And it's literally placed in uh, enemy territory where it's put in the negative zone, which is ruled by an enemy uh, dictator, which the, the U.S. has not recognized. Uh, but they have that land, apparently, that they put this prison on. It, it's Guantanamo. It's, it's very, very blatantly made to be Guantanamo. Um, anyway, so, so what, what's your take on the whole Fantastic Four and, and Spider-Man and, all, and these guys coming in? So for me, the Fantastic Four, especially Richards, read, like, it makes me feel yeah. though there's something big here, right? Reading this initially and the first time through, you wonder, like, what is he planning? There's always a plan. There's always another backup. There's always a net back. But you also know Sue and what happened, of course, to Johnny because he was attacked. Yeah, recently. he was attacked by uh, by people that were just uh, anti-superhero at the time, yeah. Yeah, and so you start seeing maybe there's a divide that's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. You know, you start thinking, well, if there's enough of a of an issue between the family members, the Fantastic Four may split. And that's how I looked at this interpretation of them in this because she's asking questions. He doesn't want to give her the answers because, of course, he has a plan after a plan after a plan. And Sue, for whatever reason, he's always kept in the dark. And I kind of saw more of that here. And also, we play the role of Sue. You know, we're the ones asking those questions and kind of wondering, what's going on? What's in, what, what are you noodling on? And he just kept us in the dark, too. I do want to say that there's a lot of people uh, online that maybe are, are haters of Reed Richards. Um, and that he's a bad person and doesn't uh, share with his family and, and doesn't, you know, it, it depends on the writer. Different writers will really show this family dynamic as a family dynamic. Others will show him as a cold and calculating guy that doesn't talk to anybody. So it's kind of kind of odd. This is definitely one of the low points for Reed Richards. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as we move forward, of course, we start seeing the cap team, I guess. Well, we'll refer to them because yeah. they're not I don't consider them villains because mm-hmm. they're not. You know, they're they're the other side of the coin that still want to do right, yep. but refuse to be registered. Mm-hmm. So Cap's team was still out there doing their thing. And we start seeing the young Avengers get captured. Brutally. Yeah. Blowing them up, yeah. shooting them. The, the 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 they call them this is the best part. They even they even call them cape killers, the people that are out to get the superheroes. Um and they even they, they blow up uh, Patriot. And and they ask each other, "Are you sure he's bulletproof?" Oh well, he'll be fine. And <laughs> and I mean, these are teenagers. These are teenagers they're shooting up. Let's go back to the conversation about registration, right? Yep. You look so, at these people, kids, mm-hmm. that are now just labeled weapons, pretty much. That they're so dangerous that they have to be hunted down this way. See, it uh, messes with me, man. You're right, and this is where I keep saying that there is a. It depends on how you execute this kind of a thing, because the idea of children that could potentially tear down a building, they should be trained on how to use their abilities so they can be more careful with it. Right. That being said, arresting children never serves a purpose. Right. That's just not a thing that we're talking about here. So so that's yeah, that's that's definitely that. Um, Daredevil shows up with his mm -hmm. team and they rescue the Young Avengers. Right. We have that scene because the Daredevil has always been right fighting for the little guy. I'm out, I'm out here on the streets. He's a lawyer that doesn't make money. <laughs> there you go. Rare. He is a comic book hero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, the law gets passed, right? Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. it gets passed. We move forward, and now we start seeing that divide. But the biggest thing that I feel, at least up to this point, is we get 
Tony Stark holds a press conference. Mm -hmm. And who shows up, Kevin, to this press conference? Spidey. <laughs> and so, it's Spider-Man. So, yes. And, and at this point, Spider-Man is primarily wearing an Iron Man-designed Iron Spider costume. Um, and that in the comics uh, for the recent years, he'd been kind of like a little bit of a mentor-mentee relationship with Tony. Um, so that had been going on. He, he joined the Avengers, um, becoming more of a, of a known hero as opposed to just being that menace from the Daily Bugle all the time. And he, again, this is what I was talking about earlier about Tony playing to the cameras. He has Peter not wear his current costume, but put on his classic costume so that the cameras can really, really capture this idea that, no, it is really Spider-Man doing this, not just somebody in a shiny suit. Um, and that that says a lot. Especially that that A, that Tony be willing to put this kid's entire family at risk, and B, that Peter would trust Tony enough to do this. Manipulation. Yep. Manipulation because it for whatever reason, it rings this bell in my brain of some distant memory, if you will. Yeah. Of the fact that it's manipulation of the of the of the people that trust in you or trust in, in this idea. Like you said, Tony hasn't steered me wrong. He's Iron Man. He's been out here public for years. Right? Yep. We knew he was who he was. And Peter looked up to him. And then we have someone that knew that they could manipulate Peter to do this, even though he had doubts. Mm -hmm. But he gave him that, that belief that it was going to be okay, even though we know now you can never promise anybody anything, especially no. in that type of situation. Peter's biggest fear is putting his family in danger yep. and knowing where, where and who he who he lives with. And sadly, that does come down the line. We'll touch yeah. on that. But Peter doing this was a huge... It, it made the actual real-world news. You know, real-world media covered it uh, not quite to the same level that they covered Death of Superman back in the, in the 90s, but they de it definitely made the news. Do you feel that ending this on issue two... It's what did it set up for you when you read this? When you when you in the issue, I'll be honest. At the, at the time I read it, the very first thing I said was, "Okay, so they're going to reverse this later," and and of course they do eventually, but but not as quickly as I thought they were. Like I thought it was going to be one of those things that by the end of the series this will be reversed because usually when you do something that big, especially when it's not even in the main comic of that character. Um, it's it, like it, obviously it did affect the main comics at the time, but I mean the, the reveal was in yeah. Civil War, right? Uh, it, it usually gets reversed before the end of the storyline, so it's like, eh. uh, but at the same time, again, it's it's the the optics of it all, the fact that they would wear the old costume, the fact that you'd have uh, Jameson basically realizing there's I think there's a comic where Jameson basically realizes that he'd been uh, hiring people to attack a teenager <laughs> back in the day, yeah, so. Yeah, that was a thing. For me, it made me feel like, whoa, like, is Tony right? Like, maybe Tony has a point. You know, because Spider-Man was that always the web-slinging neighborhood Spider-Man that was keeping his family and his friends safe, keeping his identity a secret, you know, making sure that he was okay. And this made me feel like, oh, shit, is Tony right? Because if Spider-Man, I was the audience. I was like, oh, Spider-Man's okay with it. Shouldn't everybody so, else be? So I want to point out something I think is interesting. 
although everybody who was registered had their identities known by the government, not everybody who was registered had their identities public. Peter chose to do this as a sign of goodwill and faith. Um, essentially, superheroes are now basically secret agents. You know, you're, you, you, you are protected. Your identity is now protected by the government. Does that mean that no one could ever get to it? No, of course not. There's, there's always a way that can happen. But like just before this happened, like a year or so before this happened, Daredevil's identity had been outed to the public. And his life just spiraled horribly. If, if he had been a registered hero at the time that it was outed, the people who outed him would have been treated the same as people who out the identities of our, our agents out there in the field, right? So he would have been protected by all of those uh, all of those safeguards, right? So yes, revealing revealing yourself like this very much puts you at risk, but it doesn't seem to have been a requirement of the law that people re reveal themselves. So I think that's that to me is another reason why it makes sense for a law like this to exist in a comic book universe. Can we move ahead a little bit? Because on issue two, we have yeah, Reed we Richard have well, we have Reed Richards in Wakanda. Mm -hmm. Now, um, for background here, when the Illuminati got set up, and, and again, this is very much an Illuminati book, even though they don't get name dropped, um, T'Challa was invited, and he flat out said, I'm not going to be part of it. And he, he publicly states that he's going to be neutral in this whole situation. This is also when T'Challa and Storm got married. So their wedding happened in the middle of Civil War. I find that very interesting. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, well, the big thing I take from it, like you said, is him saying, like, hey, we don't want you messing with Wakanda. Wakanda's not going to get involved with your doing. And it's Rich Richards, or the Laman in general, realizing we got to get T'Challa on our side. They got to right. make the case. They have to try because they know how impactful he yes. and his whole kingdom is. Well, it's not just him because while the Civil War Storm. primarily focuses on an American law, it is happening worldwide. Countries around the world are kind of following the U.S.'s uh, uh, guidelines uh, to pass their own laws. Canada already had a superior registration on the books, and it became strengthened after this in, in uh, Alpha Flight. And uh, um, the uh, in Europe, they were passing various laws. So this was happening throughout the world because of what Tony and, and Steve were doing, basically. So, Kevin, can so you touch a little bit on the next little section here? Because I, I wanted to ask you about this. There's a couple of things on this next section where Tony visits Xavier's school. Yep. Because there's a lot in between these little panels that is said. And there's also something I know you wanted to touch on at the end of that visit. Yeah, just a little brief bit. Because uh, at this point in time, there's supposedly only 198 mutants in the world. Because this is post-M-Day, uh, post-decimation. M-Day. Uh, yeah. And uh, so every single mutant in America is by default registered by the U.S. government. So they don't have to take a side. They're already registered. Um, but they declare themselves neutral. And again, I said already that Wolverine goes against Tony's orders and starts investigating. We have one panel here of Bishop saying, hey, do you want to talk to you, Tony? And it's funny because it doesn't really come up in this book. It does come up in the tie-ins. But about a year after this, maybe two years, we have the Messiah complex, Messiah war, which is where... Uh, Cable is trying to save this little girl who's going to be the one that restarts the mutant race and has, you know, we can have now have millions of mutants again. Yeah. But the entire storyline, Bishop is this evil mass murderer trying to kill a baby. 
and the cable's trying to stop him. And, and of course, Bishop prior to this had always been a good guy. <laughs> and Bishop currently is a good guy. But kind of starting with Civil War and leading in the next couple of years, Bishop killed hundreds of thousands of people uh, in alternate dimensions, admittedly. But still, you know, um, what's the thing that happened? I just I just find that interesting. It's about character assassination with the New Warriors. A lot of characters come out of this very tarnished. Oddly, not Tony. Despite all the stuff I keep saying that he's done, nobody really treats him as a tarnished person from this. We'll talk at the end about how he does. Yeah, at the end about that. But but it's well. Not, let me ask you. But another actions here. Another thing that's not mentioned mm -hmm. but does become an issue. Can we talk about? I don't know how to how to address the eight hundred pound green monster not in the room. Mm -hmm. So Hulk and Thor are not present. Um, just prior to this, uh, Illuminati uh, sent Hulk off into space. So he's currently doing his planet Hulk stuff. Uh, he was supposed to be on a paradise planet, but they instead sent him to the wrong one. And he was in a, a basically a, a gladiator planet. Um, yes, and Thor, Thor uh, had been uh, constantly having these threats of Ragnarok and, oh, we're going to destroy the universe. And he got back and over and over again. Well, supposedly at this point, Thor had the final Ragnarok where they could break the cycle and now have new myths so they shouldn't be repeating old stories anymore. Because up to this point, they just kept repeating the old stories. But at this point, yeah. both Thor and Hulk, the two strongest Avengers, are not present. And, and that's kind of key because if you're going to have people arguing over something to the point that they are going to physically fight over it, the two guys whose fists alone could take down a, a building are not here. So that's that's kind of a big deal. So the Illuminati planning Hulk to be jettisoned into space and ends up having his old, which is World War Hulk, which came out mm -hmm. after this, which I'm a yep. huge fan of. And I yeah. love that storyline. I love that arc. I love how it ends. I love how we get here. And there's a lot of... See, the, to me, hold on. I wanna, <laughs> I wanna really quickly address um, writing. I feel like this story, Civil War, has some good concepts in it, but very poor execution. A lot of the 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 the, the I mentioned I called it Edgelord earlier. Uh, Mark Millar's work tends to have a lot of brutalization of women and minorities, and you see yeah. that in this comic. Um, but um, but in World War Hulk, there is also violence, but there's uh, there's actual resolution to the stories. We get to see what happens to Hulk. We get to see what happens to people who did this to him, and there is introspection from the characters. It, that's because that's a, a Greg Pak book, and that book is very, very well done. And there's um, change, man. There's growth from mm -hmm. every side. And I, I whereas this one feels like let's just have everybody be as gritty as possible, and then let other writers deal with it later. So yeah, that happens. No, um, for sure. Now we, we do get a couple strong guys here. We have on Cap's team, we have Hercules and Goliath. Who again, like I said, he he's a character who was introduced in the '70s as a um. A, um a colleague of Hank Pym as another scientist who's who's an expert in, in size changing. He was initially called Black Goliath because it was the 70s. And if you were a black character, you tend to have that in your name. Um, but later on, just called Goliath. And he just hadn't been seen much in the past 20 years. He had a few appearances here and there. And I, for one, was happy to see him back because he was always a character that I thought had a lot of potential. But immediately worried when he's the only... Uh, less known face who's prominently in this comic. So yes. That. So what happens at the big? How would I say this? The next big 
situation in this issue. We have yep. a distress call. Yep, distress call. It's clearly a trap. Uh, we end up with with uh, Tony's people and Cap's people immediately fighting each other. Um, there is, you know, a lot of people say, how could somebody with the armor of, of uh, Iron Man have any, you know, reason to fear Cap? But Cap has his his techniques. Um, you know, the the one thing I've heard people say before is Cap doesn't cheat. No, he doesn't cheat, but he also knows his limitations and he knows his abilities. Of course. So, so he immediately takes out Tony's armor instantly. And and that battle's going on. And then there is thunder from the sky. And I, <laughs> and but, I just, but, yeah. But, but, but. Thor is dead. Thor shouldn't be here. Why is Thor exactly. back? Brings us to issue number four. <laughs> um, so Thor is back. Why and how, we don't know yet. It's going to get explained as but we hold go. Hold on. Let's talk about. <laughs> that image of Thor. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. The yeah. image of Thor on here is first and foremost like, oh shit moment. Like, who's he here for? And he barely talks. He does talk, but he talks in his most like curt possible way. Very short, very full Shakespearean, and not a hint of any kind of empathy anywhere on his face. It feels as though it's not the Thor we know. And in a way, it's not. Yeah, and that's solidified with exactly what I've been saying. Goliath, who had not been in the comics for a while, shows up for mm -hmm. this one storyline and is the only major fatality outside of the New Warriors. Um, I also want to point out that there is a common trope in movies and, and honestly, uh, fiction in general, which yep. is... Uh, people of color, uh, especially black people, being the first ones to die in a situation to show how dangerous it is. And um, a lot of the new warriors, by the way, eventually came back to life. Um, but the first actual death, the only actual death that happens during the course of the story itself is Bill Foster Goliath. And it is a it is a brutal death. And, and I kind of want to cover the funeral in this conversation. Yeah. Uh, not only is it a brutal death, but they leave his body gigantic, wrap him in chains. They wrap a black man in chains and bury him in essentially an unmarked grave. It is going to be marked eventually, but it's just, they're having, just pouring him in there like he's a thing. And they, there's one offhand comment of, man, it's too bad we couldn't shrink him. And it's like, Hank Pym is literally on your team. You know, you have shrinking abilities. Um, they just wanted to you make it as dramatic as possible. Huh? It was for show. It was for show. And, and Tony even says he paid for the funeral, even though it's a really expensive one. It's like he wanted it to be as broad as possible. I, I like that. I, I don't like that. I agree with what you're saying. I mean, it sounds like something he would do. Um, it literally I, does. I will say, really weird, little-known thing, Bill Foster is technically not dead. Um, his body is dead, but apparently his mind was saved in a backup. And Hank Pym has him on a shelf somewhere inside of a fictional world where he is kept alive. So that's crazy. At some point, Bill Foster would come back. He just needs a new body. If only there are people that knew how to clone things, which uh, oh, which brings, hey. which brings us to Thor. Thor, um, exactly. So Sue Storm, mm -hmm. she helps the rebels, quote unquote, rebels yep. escape. And that solidifies the whole break in the Fantastic Four right there. There it is. And I was, I was like, I saw it coming. And I'm glad she stepped in because she needed to. And then we mm -hmm. have the whole issue at the end where. Well, not even one one panel with the watcher. Just kind of like disappointed. Yeah, very much so. 
But I also want to point out the um, after this battle's over, you have the it's a sad watcher. He's not disappointed. He's depressed. Um, yeah. After the battles, after the battles over, you see the pro registration people, and, and, and Spider Man's literally saying, "Did I pick the right side?" And you see this mm-hmm. this uh, clone robot cyborg Thor having his brain drilled into so Reed can figure out what they did wrong, and we find out this clone was built by Reed, Tony, and Hank Pym. Um, later on, we're going to find out that the Hank Pym who built this uh, Thor is actually a Skrull invader and not Hank Pym. Yeah. And you could use the excuse of, oh, well, he's the reason they did it, and so they're not really evil. But no, it was Tony and, and Reed's idea. Hank just helped him do it. Um, so, so yeah, and, and uh, it's, it's just interesting both in the moment that Spider-Man's not immediately questioning all this, and or is questioning it, but not enough to actually do anything about it yet. And that Hank, who we later on find is a scroll, and also we know planned this, yeah, is like, oh, yeah, it's, it's so sad. I don't know what's happening. I mean, if we move along in the issue, mm-hmm. we start seeing where Susan leaves. You know, yep. she decides to to leave Reed because of what's going on and how things were handled. Of course, killing their killing without any hesitation, creating this clone that's killing yep. their friends. And the the issue ends with them. What would you call this? And I mean, what names would you give this? So they call it the Thunderbolts, I think, essentially. But um, there you go. But what's happening is is that the Thunderbolts originally were a team of villains who pretended to be heroes, but once they were outed, that the name became associated with villains acting as heroes. So um, Tony recruits villains, basically offering amnesty as long as they work for the government. Which I'm going to say again, as evil as this seems on the surface, in theory, the idea of offering amnesty to people with Great power, if they will finally take some responsibility for it, makes sense. I mean, we always see villains thrown into prison, or in, in Batman, they're thrown into Arkham. But like the idea of actually giving somebody a chance to rehabilitate and and not only clear their name, but actually become a, a, an aid to society is great. However, that is not what happens in this series. In this series, they're just evil assassins and murderers who work for Tony Stark. <laughs> and we get that with the end of this issue. Well, I mean, you always think about that. Like, I know you're familiar with not with One Piece, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, with yeah. One Piece in the manga and the anime. Which I was not have, familiar with until recently, but I'm, I'm actually more familiar with But there are characters in, in, in the show and in the manga where they are so powerful that the world government gives them seats of power. Yeah. Where they can do kind of what they need to do under the radar. They'll look away. But when they're called upon to do work for them, they have to abide but i want to say on the flip side of one piece you have characters that are flat out assassins and killers who given a second chance by luffy become good people so i think both things happen in one piece where you have uh, people that are so powerful the government's gonna look the other way but you also have people that that are seemingly evil that are given a chance to reform and do and so i do think the idea that somebody could register and it's not going to immediately absolve you of your crimes, but it's going to give you a chance to become a better person. I think that's great. In fact, um, not in this comic, but in some of the tie-ins later, uh, one character that I've loved since the 90s is Constrictor. Uh, he basically is just it's like Wolverine, but instead of claws, he's got like whips that come out of his arms, right? And uh, he has always been a character that wanted to be good, but never really could. 
and he was always let's be honest he was he was a a, a bully he was a, a, a assassin for hire sometimes but he wanted to be good and when he finally had that chance to be a registered hero he loved it he was like people are proud of me people are happy to see me walk in the room i don't deserve this and then somebody literally looks at him and says dude you just lost both of your arms saving a whole city of people you deserve this and he's just overwhelmed with this idea that he could actually be a good person so while in the main books of a war we're getting evil on top of evil the tie-ins were good. <laughs> the tie-ins had good stuff. So we're moving along in the issue. So looking at issue five, the big thing that I take away from issue five is Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned it early on. There's a meeting between Spider-Man and Tony regarding them having to lock up their friends in the negative zone. The death right. of Goliath. Yep. These things that Peter's just like, this is not what I signed up for. And the fact that Tony says this and it bothers me, and I remember rereading this, I was like, and he goes, you made that, uh, what is it? That cyborg killing Foster like that. Come on, you're in over your head. Tony replies, what are you talking about? Even though Thor reacted like a police officer would. Don't forget that Bill Foster was a friend of mine. So he's justifying it. Like if it were a police officer gunning down a bad guy or mm-hmm. someone that's threatening their life, which yes, they were fighting, but was Goliath really going to kill somebody? That's the question you got to know. Uh, ask yourself, you know, and we don't yeah. know that. Uh, well, see, obviously Goliath, <coughs> excuse me, obviously Goliath wasn't going to kill anybody. We know that nobody on Cap's side believes in that, but, but the idea that Tony would try to justify it this way is very telling of what he's telling himself is, futurist who knows it all and of this of course the final straw that breaks it for spider-man especially since he's watching his friends be hunted down hurt some be killed how things are just escalating so fast as well shield kind of just letting thunderbolts loose you know and we see a shot of that with this expanded version of the thunderbolts you know where we're like wow we let this guy out, Taskmaster, and and all these characters where you know how deadly they can be on the street. I, and I let loose. Out that some of these characters are already villains that had been reformed. We have Songbird here. We have um, Radioactive Man, who's actually a hero in China in the Marvel Universe. So he's just a villain in the U.S. But then you have uh, Venom, and this version of Venom is an actual uh, killer. He's not. It's not Eddie Brock in there. And then we also have um, Bullseye, who is just an unrepentant assassin, you know? So the idea that you'd have these guys together and just call them good guys because they agreed to work with you, it's kind of crazy. But we smash to Spider-Man fleeing. Yep. He's running away from Tony, fleeing through the sewers. He's attacked. And... You know what? He's almost... Yeah. As we're talking about I'm realizing something. We're talking about the, the, the optics of it all. The Tony's kind of like framing things for optics. Why wouldn't Tony have his Avengers capture Peter? Because Peter was the poster boy for why this is a good idea. Having the Avengers go take them down would look bad. But having the villains do it where no one's looking, that's not a problem. This is definitely a, a operation that is not meant to be seen by the cameras. And because of that... Or do you think is his... How Tony at this time can't lose. He thinks he can convince Peter. 
I think Tony's been that way all the way through. Tony's all the way through has just always believed he's right. Um, just as much as Cap has, both of them have always believed they're right. But the idea that he would send villains instead of the heroes uh, says a lot. And because he sends villains, A, they're going to, they want to kill Peter. And B, there's no one around to save him. Except Until. we get the Punisher, yep. Frank. Frank shows up and surprising, not so, well, happy to see him in a book. It's been a while. Yep, yep, yep. And the Punisher coming in, saving Peter, getting him back to Captain's headquarters. And Captain's side has grown. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of heroes that have kind of defected and said, you yep. know what? We need to be on your side. We don't like where this is going because of the death of Goliath and how S.H.I.E.L.D. has been acting, hunting them down and releasing the, the Thunderbolts on the city pretty much. Regardless, they don't care. They're going to go after them dead or alive. Yep. And uh, <coughs> dang, I still got my bronchitis I'm dealing with. So then we have um, Cap reacting to Punisher showing up. And it's interesting because it depends on the writer, it depends on the decade how hardline cap is about these things there was a point in the in the early 90s where cap would never have even wanted to be in the same room with wolverine and yet at this time cap and wolverine were on the same team um punisher showing up he is a one criminal but most heroes in this room have teamed up with him at one time or another uh he is a guy who will not hesitate to kill that is his goal but he's not the insane trigger happy guy that he was when he first appeared. Uh, there's been a lot more thought put into him by this point, usually. And um, in uh, Punisher's own comics, he talks very much about having a respect for authority, but especially Captain America. And that Captain America was somebody who inspired him as a kid, as a Marine, as somebody that he's always looked up to. And the idea that Cap would yell at him and say, this person is should not be here. It's kind of heartbreaking for Frank, but of course, Frank is a, you know, mass murderer himself. Um, yeah. But it also says a lot about Cap, where Iron Man is hiring villains. Cap is willing to bend his own moral stance a little bit just so they can have more support. So we get moving along in the story, and we have a scene in Hell's Kitchen, mm-hmm. and we have Daredevil gets arrested. And we see them take to section 42. Yep. Finally get one of the big names. Love... Big names mm-hmm. taken 42. Yeah, Tony. Tony's no, no, I, not just that, but I'm saying like Daredevil's one of the big heroes. The big catch, they've yeah. been catching small guys up to now. Like like the phone ranger got arrested, you know? Who's that guy? He's a guy with a phone <laughs> in his head. That's his, he has the ability to communicate through phones. That's like his power. <laughs> right? Um, but this is Daredevil we're talking about. This is one of the names of Marvel. Not only that, but I love the interaction between Daredevil and Tony, especially mm-hmm. the scene here where he hands him the silver dollar. And he goes, why did you give me a silver dollar? I don't understand. He goes, I guess that's 31 pieces of silver now. Huh? Yeah, it's, so almost, it's, well almost like a, it's almost like Daredevil is really familiar with Catholic imagery. <laughs> oh, of course. Come on, that ends issue five. Yep. And yep. this gets us to issue six. It- Final issue. We are on the, the penultimate issue. Um, and uh, this is where it all kind of comes together. We're starting to see the 50, 50 state initiative, which again, uh, for all the evil stuff that Tony's clearly doing, I think that the registration act is a good thing. Here's another reason for it. 
um, most of Marvel's heroes are based out of New York. They always talk about it. Whenever they have a, a normal person in New York, they're always like, oh, have you seen a hero today? You know, it's like a thing. Tourists come to New York to see superheroes, right? Um, we have some heroes in LA. There's occasionally been heroes in San Francisco, but that's about it, right? The 50 state initiative says every state deserves to have its heroes. So every state now has a team dedicated to doing nothing but protecting them. Yeah, some of their, their uh, members are former villains. Some of them are C and D list heroes. But the point is now people in Arizona, people in Nebraska, people in Louisiana have their own Don't heroes. Yeah. So we get here, the uh, they're called the champions here, but they later get renamed to the order due to some weird uh, copyright things happening behind the scenes at Marvel. Um, but they're a team that was meant to be like a big new thing. Their actual series only lasted, I think, less than 10 issues. Uh, but either way, you know, they get introduced. And we also get this idea that, again, what I was saying earlier, heroes get trained to use their powers. And that idea of very dangerous individuals being taught how to be safe, I think that's very important. Hell, Professor X primarily taught teenagers how to fight battles. Here they're being taught, yes, that, but also how to control your powers, you know? No, I mean, I get that idea that someone with those abilities or someone that has that knowledge should be taught how to use it, right? <clears throat> you leave somebody to their own devices, they learn things the wrong way or they learn the wrong way to do things, you know, deal with mm -hmm. things. Not only the physical impacts or the emotional, psychological impacts of what they're doing, what they're dealing with, right? Yeah. So I get that. But the fact that they're forcing people into this this registration yeah, or telling the... them, guess what? That's a bad guy. You're telling them who a bad guy is as well, as opposed to they can make their decision yes or no. One of the best examples of why Tony's side is wrong is in uh, one of the tie-in books for the, the initiative. And um, in this book, we see these teens that are recruited some of them get arrested, some of them signed up. But one in particular, she goes by the name Cloud Nine. And she has one power, one power only, and that is to communicate with a sentient cloud that she rides on. And she's basically like, you know, early Dragon Ball where Goku would ride on that cloud. That's her whole thing. Nothing offensive, nothing defensive. She can just ride on a cloud. But because it's technically a superpower, the cape killers come in and arrest her. She gets sent to the camp to learn how to use her powers properly. Um, Long after Civil War, by the time she's done with the initiative, she has been trained to be a sharpshooter who can sit in the clouds and hit any target her bosses tell her to hit. So she went from being a little girl that just wanted to have fun in the clouds to the highest trained assassins of the U.S. military. And then when she leaves yeah. the military, she's just a high tra highly trained assassin with nothing to do. And so while I, again, think this is overall a good idea, obviously the execution is where the problem happened. So as we move forward, we show Punisher. Punisher's yeah. uh, scaling a building. Finally and working he... for Cap, Cap agreeing to let him work. This guy is one of the most highly trained fighters in the world. Breaking into. Stark the, Tower. Uh, yeah. Well, the Avengers Tower. The Well, the Baxter building. Working, breaking the one for the, where the, the Baxter building. Either way, pro registration side. Area that should not be possible to be broken into, but yet combination of Punisher skills and the technology that Cap can get access to gets him in the building. Meanwhile, yeah. Sue is also trying to find other allies for the anti-registration side. Goes to Namor, who is usually willing to bend over backwards for Sue, now knows he has a little bit of leverage and tries to kind of push his luck with her. Oh, yeah, he does. Definitely. He's, he's pushing to see, hey, where's your heart really at? 
you know, what do you want to do? We can't just pretend. I'm like, what do you want to do here? And he tries to, hey, do what he can with uh, Sue Storm. And uh, that leads us to the the anti-registration side, uh, doing their big plan. Like, what do we do? How do we get this all together? And it culminates in the scene that I was kind of alluding to earlier when I said Punisher is not usually the, the crazy maniac that he was presented as originally, where he just sees two guys that are cross-room criminals saying, hey, we surrender. We want to help you guys out. And he just shoots them flat out. Yeah. And it's kind of ridiculous. Like... I, I, I one of the things for me with the Punisher is that I always think it's kind of funny that he just shoots every random little little criminal instead of going after the big bosses immediately or, or trying to like you know. But he does generally speaking try to interrogate and find out till we get to the bigger bigger tiers. Here he's just like they're criminals. I'm gonna shoot them, and uh, at least one of them is a major villain to another hero who's not present in the story. So it's kind of weird that you'd randomly kill off this guy. He's later revealed to be fine, <laughs> so that happens. But that leads to Cap kind of having a breaking point. He was already stressed. He's already freaking out. And then here is this guy that he was willing to compromise about. And then just, damn, goes right after him like that. Yeah, he goes after Frank. He beats him up to a pulp. I mean, he's not fighting back. He says, why don't you fight back? And he's, he can't. Not against yeah. you. Like, he, like, Captain America's his hero. Like, that's, he, he can't go after him. Like, what he's doing is a version of what Frank sees in a twisted way, what he does. You know, right. hey, I'm fighting for what's right. I'm just willing to pull the trigger. You know, that's the difference between as far as he sees it. And Cap just kind of takes pity on him at the end. Pity, but also disgust. And and I think that's that's fair, although again, it's a weird situation. Uh, we'll talk at the end, you know, what happens with Punisher after the story's over. Um, but we move ahead, we see uh, Tony talking with Miriam. We see uh, the, the the woman from begin earlier who, again, doesn't amount to anything in the story ultimately. And Doctor Strange finally having a conversation with the Watcher about why all this is so traumatic. And it, and it does, it, it makes sense the Watcher would be here because uh, this is going to affect literally the next 10 years of Marvel Comics, right? Um, I think it's not until recently that it just hasn't hasn't been as much of a factor anymore because for a long time, Tony and Steve individually we're at at odds with each other but not just that heroes in general were at odds with each other and with the public it did a lot to damage the the feel of of the heroes in the marvel universe who were always uh one, one thing i love i recently did a review of of uh justice league uh, versus justice league avengers crossover right and in that comic the justice league uh, are presented as people who are beloved by their people and marvel heroes are seen as as questioned by the people of earth right and this just completely pushed that further down the down the hill. So they just definitely made it so people just don't trust them anymore. Yeah, it, it really does shift from what we're used to. And it also, I don't know, it gives some of the characters that we just kind of consider vanilla a little more edge, to be honest with you. And so we move forward in the story and we have, what would you call it? Just the attack on 42? The uh, this the ultimate uh, breakout, the ultimate uh, trap. The this is the, where everything has been heading to up to this point. You have dozens and dozens of heroes on the anti-registration side, and you have dozens of heroes and villains on the pro-registration side. And and again, I want to point out that we are meant as readers to sympathize with Cap, but um, but ultimately, uh, 
his side is is heavily threatened here. They're, they have these two sides that, that are almost equally matched that comes up, especially with some of the guest stars we're going to see showing up in issue seven, the, yeah. the final issue. All right, the, this is the, where, the ultimate final issue. Yeah, this is where it all comes to a head. So where we get that climactic scene on the cover of Cap and Iron Man and Iron Man blasting against the shield. Um, what's really crazy in this battle is we have some heroes show up uh, throughout the story that had not been seen for a while. It, Thor shows up again. Obviously, this is still the clone. But we also have Captain Marvel show up. And I mentioned him earlier that he was dead at the time. Um, there was a tie-in that had him just randomly show up and, and it's believed that he's lost in time. In the follow-up story to this with Secret Evasion, we find out that he was a scroll who just kind of forgot he was a scroll. Um, but uh, but either way, the idea of seeing Marvel's most iconic heroes on Tony's side does a lot to not only add to his power, but also kind of demoralize Cap's side to a great extent. I mean, what do you think about the fact that he he yells "Avengers Assemble"? That's an that's a an empowerment to everybody on his side. Because right. I'm sure that a lot of the younger ones, even the ones that were never part of the Avengers, quote unquote, it gives them that that rally cry to make them feel that what they're doing is right. Especially with Captain leading them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. With Cap leading them like that, again, it's it's all about as much as the fighting is the big selling point, it's about the philosophy. It's about the um who can inspire people that their side is the morally correct choice, you know? And and it um, this is I think more brutal than any other fight, not because of blood and guts. I think that's always the, the go to people go to when they think of brutality. Uh, this is brutal because these are earnestly people who have been lifelong friends, beating the utter snot out of each other because of a major disagreement, but a disagreement nonetheless. It's a huge disagreement, but you see this battle to move along. We show that the battle moves to Manhattan, pretty much downtown. Right. As all Marvel are battles involved. do. They always do. Everyone from Thor shows up, like you said. The Atlanteans. The Atlanteans show up as well. And of course, he, your boy Namor. Yeah. Imperius Rex. Of course. His, his whole rally cry as well. And but, we we see the this battle just go crazy. Everything from... I mean, if we get to the point where... Thor is taking on Hercules. I mean, you're, it's like these these wish list of battles that you want yeah. to see happen, and you're seeing them happen. But at the same time, like you said a moment ago, it's almost tragic because they're not fighting a bad guy. They're literally fighting amongst each other. And just because of this belief, or they all believe they're doing the right thing, where we, we get to the point where Hercules beats Thor, the Thor clone destroys matches his brain through like his whole head explodes. I will say he gets better, you know, clone Thor gets rebuilt. I'm not sure why at this point, but he gets rebuilt. Um, he does eventually get his own unique look for all of two issues and he renames himself Ragnarok and then is just never heard from again. So somewhere out there in the Marvel universe is the clone Thor. He actually also gets his own Mjolnir, by the way, it is actual Mjolnir from a, a pocket reality, but it's real Mjolnir. Um, and so he's just out there somewhere. It just hasn't been mentioned in like 10 years. Um, so yeah, he gets better. <laughs> uh, and then we get our final battle. This is the big, big uh, blowout fight between Tony and Cap. And this, although, you know, again, ultimately Tony is considered the, the winner of this mm -hmm. war. This is another reason why I say that I am 
pro registration. Although again, a lot of the, the details of it are really murky because the average citizens come out to defend Tony. And yes, Tony's been doing everything he can to manipulate the public with, you know, these big public, you know, stunts. Right. But the fact of the matter is the general public is scared. All right. There are, and yeah, there's that anti-mutant thing, but I'm talking about like just in general, these hero battles are a scary thing to them. It's what kingdom come was entirely about the idea that all these hero battles don't even really consider the civilians that much anymore. You know, that these battles just keep going and the people are caught in the crossfire. And so as bad as Tony's side was, he was at least giving the people something that they had hoped for, which was some kind of accountability. All right. If, if a hero uh, was fighting a villain and destroyed your house, but this was a vigilante, no one knows where they live. No one maybe even knows their real name. Good luck arguing that with, with insurance. If a registered hero destroyed your house, it's getting paid for by the Maria Stark Foundation. That house is getting rebuilt. You don't have a thing to worry about. Now, obviously, you have stuff that got destroyed, but like there's accountability. That hero is going to be presumably taken up on, on uh, an investigation. Now, will that go anywhere? Probably not. It's like in the real world. But isn't it just making a superpower policeman? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that, as I'm saying it. And that's the problem, right? We talked about your side, saying Tony Stark. Tony's side had a point because they want to register people, making them government employees, making them registered, trained, holding them accountable if something happens. But let's look at how someone like Spider-Man got radicalized, in a sense. Very true. Because, because of this treatment. He was misled. He was the number one cheerleader for Tony Stark. And that the fact that he did the things he did watching his own friends, people, his own, you know, brothers in arms, if you will, get chased down and hunted down and with no remorse be killed at times because they're just not wanting to be under this leash, let's say. Now, mm-hmm. do we uh, understand that there are bad guys and good guys? Sure. Now, is there gray? Like where someone can can exist? You know, for example, we look at talked about punisher people can have the conversation that he's a villain because he's murdering people yeah but he's also taking out murderers and rapists and everything that you can think of under the sun so there's always that middle ground that we can still find there's going to be heroes like daredevil that are going to kind of ride that line and still not be held down because there are plenty of times where the government can step in and tell you that undocumented person right there arrest them but why? They haven't committed a crime. They haven't done anything wrong. They deserve a chance to do things and, and survive and maybe go about things the right way. You know, get their citizenship, get the residency, what have you. Let them be here. Let them exist. They're fleeing for a reason. But yet, because the government says, no, it's illegal, they're going to send them down to the border and blast it to death so nobody can join and, and come here. Like, right. where do you draw the line when you are a superhero, quote unquote, a mutant, what have you. You said you're already registered, but there's a difference between being in a database and then being obligated to do something. Yeah. And that that's the line right there. So while I do think it is important to have accountability, conscripting them into the army should never have been a factor. That should not have been part of it. Um, attacking children should never have been part of it. Um, ultimately, though, Cap does surrender. You know, he, he, he stops the yeah. fight. Uh, it's implied that he was about to kill Tony, which 
what the hell cap but um but he surrenders and the people just disperse they scatter presumably that nobody tries to chase them at this point because their main figurehead went down um when cap has walked away punisher picks up his 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 mask right shortly after this there's a trial during the trial cap is assassinated and of course this is when bucky takes over becomes cap for a while steve gets better yeah. it happens um but while cap is assumed dead punisher redesigns himself to be the new captain america briefly uh, he's still the punisher but he's the punisher with a star in his skull so it's kind of it's weird it's it was a weird story um we go to the end mm -hmm. of the book and we have tony stark walking through shield headquarters and this led into am i wrong tony stark director of shield yep this is uh tony stark Interestingly enough, he'd already been Secretary of Defense at one point before this, but but uh, this is where Tony becomes uh, basically, uh, if not Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., at least Director of, of Superhuman Forces, essentially. And um, he's put in charge of the database. Um, he is basically single-handedly running all the official superheroes from here on out, you know, uh, for a while. And, um, and, and it's interesting, you know, I talked earlier about Miriam Sharp being like this mysterious woman that fans were convinced something was going to happen, and here she is congratulating him on a job well done. And yeah, next time we see her is during a couple crossovers away from here where uh, the whole world is in a very scary place. And she's, she realizes, I guess heroes are important. So she forgives the heroes who she sure. blamed for her son's death. Um, but like, but yeah, this also leads to, to other crossovers. Like you said, World War Hulk earlier uh, is going to immediately follow this. After that, we're going to have the secret invasion which is where this whole kind of thing falls apart. We find out that Hank Pym had been a secretly a scroll this whole time. It shows a crack in Tony's plan in that while he had hoped to protect everybody, he was so confident in his abilities that he overlooked what was right underneath his nose. And that leads to the one thing that Steve had mainly been worried about the idea of individual freedoms, right? But the ultimate fear is once we give up our identities and all the stuff like that, Who's going to be in charge of that? Tony's like, well, me, I'm in charge of it. Yeah. But when secret evasion happens and he gets kicked out of office, Norman Osborn of all people is put in charge of all the superheroes. And um, that leads to a whole situation that goes to siege where, where he goes crazy predictably. And then ultimately they just kind of quietly disband the registration, but for a good long time, that's the status quo. But I think that that goes back to just real world events, right? Putting people in power that they believe are the right people that they can manipulate. Yep. Why put Norman Osborn, someone that has been historically a problem? I don't want to say the word. Yeah, a problem, corruptible. I mean, let's just say corrupt. Corrupt, just corrupt. I mean, he's a yeah. corrupt individual. Uh, and the fact that a database like this or the registration is still such a big issue, and we'll probably see it again. I mean, obviously, we had Civil War too. We have. Yeah. Uh, Tony does destroy the database um, and also his mind at the time. He erases some of his own memories to try to protect the, the heroes, realizing that he was wrong uh, in a sense. Uh, and Civil War II is interesting because it's the opposite. Tony is now believing that we shouldn't just arrest people randomly, you know, having learned a lesson. Uh, but yeah. uh, it's Carol now who believes in arresting people before they've committed a crime, when when there's somebody who's able to predict they have a crime, which is... It's like, a, what's that one uh, movie? 
uh, minority, minority Report. Minority, minority Report. Report. Yeah, basically. So it's like this this comic did a lot to destroy the character reputations of Iron Man, the New Warriors, uh, a lot of other characters. And Civil War II does that to Carol Danvers. <laughs> so it's like every time they've done this, it's just not ended well for the heroes. Um, so there's that. But 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 overall, so Civil like, War, but overall, right, to it's hard to just kind of minimize it in the time we we have, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the fact that Civil War, when you talk amongst comic book fans, if you will, or just pop culture in general, mm-hmm. you can reference this specific time in Marvel as a huge deal. And it's still a great story that still resonates now. The politics behind it, the social issues behind it, you know, everything from accountability of those in authority, in a way, you know, I looked at it as even gun control and you know, yeah. going to war and things like that. Like, it's all encompassed in here. So you're getting this and you can reread this book or reread this series and still take away from it what they intended back in 2006. Yeah. Um, again, uh, I, I do think the story could have been a little bit more organized. I think characters should have been a little bit more in character, but the big ideas here are big ideas worth exploring. And I, I still feel that there should be a standard ability to be registered in the Marvel universe, minus the random guys that will completely ignore all the criminals just to arrest a hero. Um, but you know, uh, I mean, Chikuma said it one time before. He mm. didn't know that the Avengers were volunteers and they don't get yeah. paid. You know, so yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the, Avengers, the fact that you so, went out there and did all that and get no money for it, no, no, you're not taking care on, of. Depending on the time period, there were time periods where the Avengers actually were uh, sanctioned by the UN and were uh, the UN would go in and not only pay a little bit for them out of like an international fund but also kind of make demands on who should be on the team and not on the team. And then there's also been times where Tony Stark had the Maria Stark Foundation named after his mother uh, funding the team. Um, uh, hell, when, when Spider-Man joined the Avengers, he was literally told he was going to get a paycheck. <laughs> and he's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so, but I guess we talk about it in the beginning of, of the show, we must know pro Tony, pro Cap. You know, I yeah. still sit with Cap because of the fact that the abuse of power, when you yeah. give someone that title of, hey, the government's backing me now. They, unfortunately, and not to say all these heroes are incorruptible because they're human beings, right? Some, <laughs> they're, they're individuals that even the bad guys were empowered, right? Hey, here's a yeah. chance to redeem yourself. But unfortunately, they took it to that extreme. And do we yeah. really want those guys running the streets? And when I say I'm pro-registration, that doesn't mean I'm pro-turning every person with powers into a cop. It's more like I'm pro-education. I want there to be a, a public education ability to show people who have these powers how to control them, give them an outlet where they can use their powers to, I don't know, fight fires, you know, become construction workers, do whatever it is they want to do. There, there, were, there were some people after this that became super-powered construction workers. You know, that was a thing that happened. Uh, you know, the focus was always on the, the military aspect of it, but that shouldn't have ever been a factor that shouldn't have but ever that's been what it is man it's always yeah. towards military it's always towards the government telling you who to shoot who to attack who to go after you're not wrong man i can't say that you're wrong no and that's that's where this becomes a division not to the point where you fight each other in the streets but it's that conversation right where this translates to real world like 
those in power often because of the fact that those are in control can manipulate who the villains are, quote unquote, and even turn the, the heroes themselves into villains. And that's what happened here. And that's what happened here, pretty much. Well, if you all enjoyed this, please let us know, of course, at my Primo's podcast. Uh, I love doing these deep dives. I think it's cool to go back. I know me and Kevin have talked about different other stories, not just Marvel, but yep. uh, DC, of course, other indie stuff that I'm into. And breaking away, not just from comic books, but even video games. Uh, we do want to touch on those because we're fans of that as well. So just let us know what you guys want to here you know we're definitely yes, open to yes, any right in man right in with these suggestions, suggestions right in definitely and kevin go ahead and give it done in a while but where can people find you what's your insta and that way people can reach out to you directly on instagram and on uh, tiktok i am kevin garcia underscore com uh and man i am getting so close to ten thousand. I, I i just want the ability to be able to organize my videos and the playlists and stuff and they won't let me do that until I have 10,000 followers. And I am just a few thousand short. <laughs> so Amos, go follow Kevin Garcia underscore. Get him to that 10,000. Definitely help him get there. We just get more and more content. And plus, listen to his stuff. It's fun. It's educational. It's really cool. He does a comment. Ask him a question. He will respond. I've seen him do it. Definitely. Uh, but Primos, I'm going to go ahead and end the show here for tonight. Thank you all for listening. We didn't say adios. Bye!